0: All right, I'm going to tell you something you've never heard of before. Maybe you thought of this in, on your own, but um, I'm here to tell you this morning that you are bigger than God, and you are more powerful than God, because God is tiny. I got the same response first service, <laughs> blank stares and uncomfortable Laughter. All right, hang with me here and I'll explain what I mean. I I really mean it though. You are bigger than God and you are more powerful than God. Here we go. One of the core doctrines of scripture, all of church history, is that God is infinite. Right? There's no beginning and no end to God. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He has no boundary. No matter where you could go, to the furthest star, he's there. Go to the bottom of the ocean, he's there. Go hide out in the darkest corner of the jungle. He's there. All right, he's everywhere, right? There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nowhere he isn't. We usually, though, think of infinity as counting forever and ever numbers getting bigger. Right? I mean, numbers never end. We can just keep counting. And that's infinity. But let me take you back to high school geometry class. Okay, high school geometry class. All right, high school mathematics here. We know we can count forever in, in numbers just keep getting bigger and bigger. And that is infinity. We know that God is huge. He measures the, the span of the universe with his hand from his thumb to his pinky. That's how he measures the known universe. Okay, he's, he's, God's big. But infinity is not just big forever. It's smaller forever also. Because infinity doesn't start at zero. That isn't infinity. Do you remember from your high school geometry class the difference between a line segment and a line? A line segment has dot, dot line, points at the beginning and end, and you can measure a line segment. You cannot measure a line because it, it goes forever in both directions. It never ends, right? An array starts at a single point and goes on in one direction forever. So it's eternal but it's not infinite because it has a starting point. God has no starting point. You and I are raised. We began at a certain point and go on forever. God is a line. There is no beginning and no end. He is the beginning and the end. But he doesn't have a beginning and an end. He goes on forever. So God doesn't have a middle because there's no middle to a line. On a line that goes infinitely in both directions you can't find the middle. There is no zero. There is no starting point. So we would usually say, in our own mind, we would conceptualize infinity, a God's size just keeps getting bigger and bigger forever. But it also keeps getting smaller and smaller forever. Because you cannot divide anything in half down to zero. It's impossible. Remember high school math here, folks, maybe junior high math. You can't divide anything in half down to zero. You just keep getting smaller and smaller fractions. But there's always something left that you're cutting in half. God never reaches, there's no zero with God where, okay, God is this size small and no smaller. Just like there is no, God is this big and no bigger. It just, he's smaller forever because he's infinite. He's infinitely large and he's infinitely tiny. So it's easy for us to picture that we could fly out to the furthest star out there known, billions of billions of billions of miles out there, and God would be there. How many of you know that? You know you, you can't leave his presence, he's, he's everywhere. You can, we can pretty easily picture that, that God is bigger than the known universe, and wherever we would go, to whatever star, there he is. But let's go in a microscope and look at our arm and we would see skin cells and inside those cells we would see different parts of the cell and inside that we would get down into chemistry levels and we would see molecules and if we had an electron microscope you'd see atoms and then you, for a long time until maybe hundred and fifty years ago the world thought atoms were the smallest thing there were and then in the late 1800s they discovered electrons and protons and neutrons make up atoms there's this nucleus with electrons going around that. And then in the 1980s, they discovered that, well, electrons aren't the smallest thing there are. They're, they're made up of other parts called quarks and neutrinos. And, and then in the 2000s, it's like, well, then we've got the higgs boson particle. It just keeps getting smaller and smaller, unimaginably tiny things, things we can't even see in a microscope, but mathematically we'd know they have to be there infinitesimal, almost unimaginably small particles. If you could make yourself that small, would God be there? Absolutely. He's unimaginably tiny. If you went out to the furthest star, you all said you believe God is there. Is part of God there or all of God there? All of God is there, just like all of God is in here and all of God is in you. Scripture, you may be filled with all the presence of God. So is all of God riding an electron in my arm? Yes, he is. He is unimaginably tiny. He is infinitesimally, in infinitely small. And he never stops getting smaller. However small you would go, you can go smaller still and God is still there. Come on now. The scripture says, in him we, move, we live and move and have our being. Another scripture in Ephesians, I believe it is, says, God is all in all. Another scripture says that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. There is, even if you want to just, just limit it to the physical world that we can understand, that at, at Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is the foundation. He is the, he is the initiator and the goal. He is the foundation of all things. And however small we keep going in our science, God's still there, upholding it all by the word of his power. Everything is made by him out of him. So God is tiny. He doesn't have a he doesn't have a middle, he doesn't have an origin. It's not like he begins at a certain point and then sp- expands out through the universe. Even picturing God as encompassing the universe is still wrong because there's no boundary where God ends and then there's nothing on the outside. So the same thing is inside also. It it never ends. He just is there. And he continues forever. Jesus said that to be the greatest in his kingdom, to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you must be the least. So obviously God is the greatest, so he's the smallest. Jesus said, if you want to be a leader in my kingdom, you make yourself the servant of all. If you want to be the greatest, you be the least. And he modeled that in human life, but it is true in every sense and in every capacity. So God is the smallest thing there is. Because he's the greatest. God is tiny. And you are bigger than him and more powerful than him. Let me prove it to you. God says, I died for you and I want to forgive you and adopt you into my family. If you say, I don't believe that rubbish, who wins? You or God? You do. If God says, by my stripes you are healed, and you say, I don't believe in healing, who wins? For now, who wins? You do. If God says, I want you to give that person over there that your $100 bill that you've got in your pocket, and you're like, oh, who said that? That can't be God. <laughs> who wins? You're bigger than God. If God says... I want you to go be a missionary in Borneo, and you're like, no, I'm not going. Who's more powerful? Be honest. You are. How many times do you override God on a daily basis? Come on. God says, don't have sex till you're married. You say, I want to, and I'm going to. Who wins? You are bigger than God and more powerful than God. Because Elijah looked for God in big and powerful things, the firestorm and the thunder and the whirlwind. And how did God show up? In the still, small voice, which can be translated the tiny whisper. God is tiny. How many of you have heard that tiny whisper? Don't go there. <laughs> I'm going anyway, God. See you later. Mm-hmm, don't eat that. I'm going to eat that anyway, God. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm, I want you to go talk to that person. No, I'm scared. Come on. God is the tiny whisper. We're looking for big, powerful, Glory ball floating in the sky, God fix it all, come show, reveal yourself. He's not going to because then people would have to believe in him and he wants to know who will choose to believe him by faith when he is invisibly small. He could show up and do grandiose works in a pillar of fire again, but he wants to know who will choose me by faith and love when they can't see me because I'm so small. Jesus said, God is concerned with tiny things. The amount of detail that God concerns himself with is mind-blowing. Jesus said, God personally dresses every flower. Remember, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus said, God dresses every flower. Well, imagine every petal on every bloom, in every meadow, on every hillside, just in Union County alone, there are millions of flowers. I mean, the ones we plant here in our yards and gardens, but if you go up the mountains, you see meadows full of those black eyed Susan things and Indian paintbrush and lupin and millions is not an ex- exaggeration, I don't think at all. Just in Union County. Some of you think Union County is just the valley. Those of us who are up in the mountains all the time, you know, Union County is a big place. And it was just a tiny place on the face of the globe. Imagine how many flowers God personally creates, and he knows them each individually. And how many flowers does he make up in the Cap Wilderness, or the North, Umatilla, North Fork Umatilla Wilderness, or the John Day Wilderness, that nobody's ever gonna see. Year after year after year, he plants these flowers and nobody sees him but himself. And he loves them. And he creates them individually for his own smile. Jesus said, God knows every single bird. He said, Not a single bird falls out of the sky that he doesn't know it. Jesus said, God knows. How many hairs are on our head? Which changes every day for one reason or another. So let me expand now what Jesus is saying. Jesus used those three examples, flowers, birds, and hair. But let me just expand it. I'm not changing the meaning of what he said. I'm saying that God knows every insect and amoeba and salmon egg and butterfly and pollen grain and pine cone and wisp of cloud and raindrop and newborn fawn and a bumblebee and every pebble in every stream in the entire world. He knows where they're at and what their history is and why he made them. Hello? God could go to Catherine Creek or the Grand On River and separate every individual drop of water out of there and tell us where that snowflake fell up in the mountains last winter. And how many times it's been through the water cycle in 6,000 years. The entire history of every molecule of water that's in our valley. He knows every tiniest detail. If you were to go to the darkness of the depths of the Pacific Ocean, how many of you have seen like the Planet Earth documentary or some one of the ocean ones? That were those Just in the last 10 years, they've got new submarine technology and go deeper than we have ever gone before. And you find those glow-in-the-dark fish. you got that one that's got the thing hanging off the front of his head and he lures in the shrimps and then they he sucks them in, you know. Well, there's, down there, there's these translucent... Shrimp that flash blue, they don't even have any eyes because they don't need them. It's too dark. Way at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. They're there right now, millions of them. If we could go there, boom, just go and see one of those little shrimps. God knows that shrimp. He knows who his parents were. He knows what he's done around there just floating in the dark and every meal he's had since he was born. He knows every single little detail. If you were to go to the moon and scrape up a handful of moon dust, right now, just boom, you go to the moon, scrape up this dust, God could tell you the history of every grain in your hand. He knows the tiniest details. If you were to go to the Oregon coast, and you look at that wind-blown tree on hanging on to the edge of the rock on the edge of the continent, you know the tree, that you've seen on vacation somewhere that's got like six branches on one side and it's, blah, you know, only two of them are green and it's just frozen like it's blowing in a hurricane. The one that's just barely hanging on to life on the edge of the continent. You know what I mean? If you've been to some place like that. I'm thinking of Ecola State Park, north of Cannon Beach, if you've been there. Just, you know what I mean by the windblown trees. Just, you're just like, how did that get there? God could tell us how that seed landed in that crack in the rock and when it started to grow and who those seed parents were, the grandpa and grandma's trees and where they grew. And every storm and every bird that's landed in that tree, every drop of rain and windstorm that's blown by it, some of you are that tree. God bless you. He knows every detail of absolutely everything that has happened Every time a branch got busted off in a storm, he knows. He can point to the spot on the beach. Well, it rotted away. It's part of that sand right there. You with me? God knows the tiniest details. And he is concerned. I don't think obsessed is too strong of a word. A God that will create bajillions of flowers that nobody's ever going to see. just for himself. And he designs every one of them unique. I don't even know what, what number could we possibly even make up for the number of snowflakes that fall in the Arctic and the Antarctic. Millions a day, billions a day, I don't know. I don't want to exaggerate, but I, it's, it's a lot. And every one of them is completely different. And he does that just for fun because he's a detail-oriented guy. Just for his own pleasure. He knows the tiniest details. And Jesus said, he knows the flowers and the birds and the hairs on your head. And he said, you are so much more important than birds and flowers. He knows every tiny detail of your body, mind, soul, and spirit. Because he's in our body, he's in our cells, he's in our genes, he is in our atomic matter that makes us up. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. If God is that small, then the things in our daily life, our thoughts, our actions, our feelings, our choices, if God is so small we couldn't see him with a microscope in there, then what I do... With this body, what I do with my mind is huge to God. How many of you, as a child, looked at ants and wonder how they see us? I think every little boy does that for sure. I'm sure little girls do it too. My son's out there burning with a microscope or burning them with a magnifying glass um, as he's wondering what he looks like. It's the giant alien with a death ray they scream and run across the sidewalk. Okay, so we've all wondered, what do we look like to ants? You know, with these big giants, right? God is smaller than that ant. And he looks up at you. Now God is huge too, okay? God holds the whole planet in his hands. But he is also infinitely small. And the things we do affect him. He cannot appear as some glowing fireball in the sky and just snap his fingers and fix everything in the world because he requires faith. So he hides himself invisibly small and he is so humble, he puts himself at our mercy. And if I choose to sin, he's not going to stop me. And I may totally train wreck his will for my life, but I have that power. If I choose to skip reading my Bible for today, I may totally train wreck what he wanted to tell me. And he cannot physically possess me and make me read my Bible. I'm more powerful than him. He comes in that still small voice, but our conscience is very quiet and very easily overridable. Good and bad, our actions affect God. He cares about what we feel and what happens to us. He is moved by what we do that is good, and he is affected by what we do that is wrong. Tolkien in his uh, novels, The Lord of the Rings, probably most of you have seen the movies rather than read the books, but Tolkien puts his philosophy in Gandalf's mouth, the character Gandalf, Says this, but really, it's Tolkien speaking to us in his novel. He says Saruman believes that only great power can hold evil in check, but that is not what I've found. I've found that it's the everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay, small acts of kindness and love. So let me read again what Tolkien, who's a believer of sorts, is writing to us. This isn't scripture, but it does line up with what Jesus said. I'll show you here in just a minute. Tolkien said that evil believes that only great power can hold it in check. But that's not what I've found. I've found it's the everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. Tolkien says, I don't think that good people need great power. We just need small acts of kindness and love, and we can stop the progress of wickedness in the world. That's not scripture, but it does line up. Jesus said when he comes back, he told us what he's going to ask us about. And it isn't, did you fast for a month about worldwide revival? It's, did you visit me when I was in prison? Did you come to my home when I was sick and just sit with me for an hour? Did you give a cup of cold water to a thirsty child? I will reward you for that because he cares about the little things. It's small acts of kindness and love that bring the kingdom of light into the world. Are you with me? Jesus did say when we meet him on judgment day, he will talk to us about when we fasted and what money we gave and all that stuff. But we want to come up with these big, grandiose, huge, I'm going to change the world kind of plans. And Jesus didn't say he was going to, Quiz us on that. Did you take care of the neighbors on your street? Did you tell your classmates about me? Did you love the hurting people around you? Because the truth is, you're not going to change the world, but you might change eternity for 15 people that you know, and that will change the world. I'm not talking about being a nice person. I'm talking about intentional acts of kindness and selfless love bring the kingdom of God to your neighbors and classmates and family and co-workers yeah if that's true that the little things we do that we may think oh Jesus I I mean it blows my mind that Jesus said I will reward you for giving a cup of water to a cold or to a thirsty child that blows my mind that Jesus is that generous did I say it wrong okay It's it's mind-blowing. I just can't even wrap my mind around, Jesus, that's not a big deal. But when you're infinitesimally small, it is a huge deal. When God can't just snap His fingers and give the people that need what they need, He has to do it through us, then it is a huge deal when you do it. You're like, God, I... He's gonna, he's gonna be excited that you put a $50 bill in the offering. Like, God, it was just 50 bucks. I make a lot more money than that. He's like, but you didn't have to, and I couldn't, and you did. Thank you. This is huge. You didn't have to love the neighbor down your street, and I just can't show up and knock on their door and tell them about me. You have to do it. And you actually got out of your schedule and inconvenienced yourself to love the person across the street. That is huge to me. Because I made myself so tiny. I put myself at your mercy, and you actually did it. You did what I would have done when I couldn't. It's huge. So if that is true, that what we would consider is a small act, just go and sit with a friend when they're sick. Go and pray for somebody who's having marriage problems. Just send them an encouragement card. It's like, that's not really a big deal, God. It's huge to him. If that's true, then your sin is huge too because he can't stop it. The things you think are just little problems in your life are enormous. Do you hear me? You think, oh, I know I have that habit, but it's not really a big deal. It's, oh, the movie isn't that bad. It's the compromise of small standards when you're with friends, but you don't want to speak up because you don't want to rock the boat or look stupid. But you know what the group is doing is wrong, and you go along with it anyway. It's like keeping silent when you should speak up. It's experimenting. It's, well, it's not really lying, and I'm not hurting anyone. I'm a consenting adult. I'm free to do what I want in private. I'm tired. I can skip it just this once, or I've worked really hard. I can splurge just for today. I can handle it. It won't happen to me. But the tiniest decisions can have huge consequences. How many people have killed somebody while they were texting behind the steering wheel? I don't know the number, but it's a lot. It's a pretty innocent choice. Oh, I could just Just real quick. And you look down and... Nobody plans on getting addicted to drugs. It's just, well, I need a buzz or I'm tired and I need some energy and years down the road, they're completely in chains. It's just a series of little choices. Some guys do plan on cheating on their wife, but probably most guys don't plan on ending up in bed with a strange woman. But a year ago, I felt sorry for myself because she talked wrong to me and I was mad, so I got online and made a friend. I was just going to blow off a little steam and you now here we are in bed. How much blood has been spilled in world history because two guys could just couldn't let it go and keep their mouth shut? and It ends up with somebody beat or shot because somebody can't control their temper. Little choices to not forgive end up in a ruined lifetime of bitterness. Because the things that we think are small lead to bigger things, and those lead to bigger things, and those lead to bigger things, and and thicker chains, and greater bondage. Our little sins are huge to God. Because tiny compromises and small excuses and quick laziness equals huge consequences over time. But it's always somebody else that's wicked. The problem with the world is Muslim terrorists and this political agenda and this philosophy that I disagree with and these people over here, they're wicked, but I'm not. No, the problem is the small everyday sins of good people ruin the world. Just like the small acts of love and kindness save the world. Because God is tiny and what we do is huge, good and bad. You want to say somebody else is wicked? Well, if it's true that our small acts of love and kindness and service have that much power, it is also true that the excuses and the compromises and the sins that we ignore and overlook are just as big to a tiny God. Because God knows that a weed seed is exactly as bad as a full-grown weed. One dandelion seed that lands in my yard from that neighbor who doesn't spray his <laughs> can produce a plant that grows 500 more. i got to go out and dig them. One weed seed is just as bad as the full-grown weed. When God sent the Israelites into Canaan, he told them, kill everybody. Man, women, children, nursing infants, animals, kill them all. And they went in and they didn't do that. Because, well, the baby Canaanites are cute and cuddly and they're not going to be harmful. So they didn't kill them. He told them again when Saul was king, kill all the Amalekites, every one of them. Destroy them. Saul didn't do that. God said, you kill them or they will kill you. Saul's like, well, we can leave this one king. He doesn't have an army now. We wipe them out. He won't be able to do anything. And they left some children and women and took them slaves. 600 years later, who shows up to kill all the Jews? Haman. Guess what Haman is? An Amalekite. Because God knows a baby Amalekite is still an Amalekite. Kill him. Kill the baby lust before it grows up into adult lust that will you can't get away from. Kill the baby anger before it goes into fits of rage and you end up in prison. Kill the baby offenses before it ruins your life with anger and bitterness. It's not cute and cuddly. It isn't harmless and you can't handle it. Kill it. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount... That lust is the seed of adultery, and that anger is the seed of murder. And it's just as bad, and just as dangerous, and just as guilty. Our little decisions, our little choices, our excuses of it's not that bad are huge to a microscopic God. The devil is in the details. We use that phrase. That's not from the Bible, but it's true. The devil is in the details. We use that phrase to mean you have a project to do at work, or in our case, it's a remodeling project at home. You have this grand vision of what you want your room to look like, but the devil is in the details. And it takes a lot more work and a lot more money and a lot more time than you think it will take because there are details to work out, right? If you don't work out the details, your project will not work. It's the same thing in your own soul. The details matter. The small things matter. The devil is in the details, and you don't reach your goal. You lose the battle. You miss the mark. You find yourself chained in sin because of tiny decisions you make along the way. I got... Good news for you. Because Jesus is microscopically small, Jesus is in the details too. <laughs> Jesus is in the details. He says that the tiniest little good things that we do make a huge impact on eternity. He said, if you give, this is Matthew ten forty two, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water, because you are my disciple, assuredly I say to you, you shall by no means lose your reward. Unbelievable. That you could go on a mission trip and give food or water to some starving person somewhere and you would go there and you would be brokenhearted for the poverty you would see and the suffering you would see. and Like, how can I change this? I can't, I can't deal with this political situation of this country. I can't deal with drought and famine, but I'll just feed, and just feed these people. I'll just take care of them and give them a hug and tell them Jesus loves them. And I'll come home and my life will be changed and I'll be wrecked with love and brokenhearted. And Jesus, I'll go where you want me to go and I'll do what you want me to do. And Jesus is like, you just rewrote your eternity because you gave those kids a drink. No, Jesus, that wasn't anything. I'm the one that has everything and they have nothing. You don't want to reward me. You need to take care of them. And Jesus says, you just rewrote your own eternity. I have a reward for you because that is a huge deal to me that you would go and take care of somebody. It's a huge deal to me that you would go and visit me when I'm in jail it's a huge deal to me that you'd come and sit with me when I'm sick. Wash my dishes when I can't stand because I hurt my leg. That you would send an encouraging card or just an email or no, no, Jesus, that isn't anything. That's nothing. No, it's huge to a microscopic God. Huge. Because He can't do it and you don't have to and you do. And because He cares so much about the situation of those people who are in the pain or in the problem or have the need. He cares so much. You have no idea how huge the littlest kindnesses that you do are because Jesus is in the details. You have big grandiose plans to change the world and bring worldwide revival and Jesus says, I just want you to take care of the small things. I just want you to take care of the guy across the street Talk to your classmate about me. Love the person on the sidewalk. Go visit your friend that's sick. But God, it's not serving you to just go sit with a sick person that loves me and I love them. And yes, it is. It's huge. In Philippians, the Philippian church had sent a messenger to Paul who was under house arrest. He gets there and he brings a gift of food and money from the church in Philippi to Paul. I don't have time to go read this, but it's in Philippians. You can go read it. He brings the the gift from the Philippian church to Paul. And Paul writes a letter back to the Philippians that we now know as the book of Philippians in Scripture. While the messenger kid, probably 18, 22 years old kid, he gets deathly sick while he's there and he almost dies. And Paul prays for a miracle. Jesus heals him. And he's now delivering the letter back home to his home church. And Paul says, you should hold this man in high honor because he almost died for the gospel. That's the word of God. And I read that and I think, Paul, are you serious? All he did was get sick. He didn't voluntarily put his neck on the line go into a tribe of cannibals who he knew would kill him if he told him about Jesus. He just made a delivery and got sick while he was on the trip. And Paul, speaking as God, as the Word of God, Scripture, Philippians says, hold this man in highest honor because he almost died for the gospel. That's a huge deal. Are you kidding me? No. That's how thankful Jesus is that we would do anything in faith in service for him imagine if the little boy who brought the breads and fishes that day when 5,000 people were really really hungry imagine if his mom had not packed his lunch have you ever thought about that When mom is packing his lunch, she's just doing the, I have to do this sort of task. And Jesus shows up and turns it into a heaven meets earth, history writing, word of God moment. Because she packed a lunch. Hello now. You think my job doesn't matter. I'm just raising my kids. I'm really not doing anything big or important. You just do what you need to do and love the people you need to love. And Jesus will turn it into heaven meets earth moments. Gideon was harvesting grapes when God showed up. Elisha was plowing. Moses and David were herding sheep. And God shows up in a moment and rewrites eternity. And they're just taking care of business. So imagine what God can do when you intentionally get out of your schedule in your life to go serve somebody else. If he can take a mom that just packs a lunch for her son and turn that into one of the biggest miracles in the New Testament. Imagine what he can do if you'll just pause for your day and go visit your sick friend. Or maybe not even a friend, just a neighbor two houses down that you know is having a hard time. Imagine what he can do when you are intentionally selfless and kind, and get out of your own circle of social friends and family and Talk to somebody, give that money, make, give that service. Imagine how powerful and huge that is to God. It's a big deal. Because God is tiny and you are huge. And your actions and your choices and your feelings and your thoughts matter. Big time. To a microscopic God. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Lord, your humility is absolutely amazing that you hide in plain sight, but you do hide. You make yourself so small and quiet. But we choose you by faith. and We know that you are there. And those who are searching for you will find you. We will find you, and we do. And we give you all the glory and honor for the things that we do but then you turn around and say you're going to reward us for it. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for pointing out the seriousness of little choices that we make, good and bad. Lord, we don't want to trample on your will. We don't want to override our conscience, the voice of your Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't want to think that something is little when it destroys your holiness in us. And Lord, we don't want to discount the little, little things that you have given us to do because we think we want to be big and important and accomplish great things. And you just want us to do the little everyday things and show kindness and love. And that is greatness. Thank you for your encouragement today, Lord. Thank you for your blessing. I bless every father in the room, Lord. I pray that Uh, They'll have a good day with their kids and grandkids.